Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, what's up, Prosperity peeps? Randy Gage here with a very special edition of Prosperity TV. And the audio track of that, which is also known as the Power Prosperity Podcast, with a very special guest star as well. <laughs> so I'm joined by Jojo Kid, also known as Joey Leslie, who is the founder of the Cleverest Group. And um, let me tell you why he's joining us, um, because this is kind of an ask me anything show, but it's not live. What we, we just, Lornette gets assaulted with all of these emails that come through the website. Uh, and I get assaulted with all these questions on social media that I can't possibly answer everyone. So I thought, you know, let's just keep them together, put them in a Word document, and then I'll do a show and I'll just answer all the questions. Um, and so my first thought was I was just gonna, you know, read out the question and then answer it. And then I thought it would be a lot more valuable to the viewers and the listeners if I had Jojo interview me because Jojo is a very old soul who is very wise beyond his years. Um, and he has this amazing discovery process that Jojo runs a branding agency called the Cleverest Group. And he's worked, he's the one created my Sonic logo and I work with on my own branding. Uh, and I just noticed he's so good at this discovery process. Um, and he's a critical thinker. So uh, what I've done is given him the list of questions we put together and then given him total carte blanche to follow up and clarify or ask add-on questions that he thinks would get the most value for you guys. So, welcome, Jojo. <laughs> Hi, so happy to be here. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> All right, so what, uh, anything you wanna say to set it up or introduce to the people where we're gonna go? Yeah, so um, just to follow up on the discovery process a little bit, the reason I call it that is because um, not only is it a discovery for me and the insights we're going to find, but also through it, through that process um, and the questionings, just because I'm super curious. I think people also find out things about themselves or their business um, that they didn't realize. So it's a discovery for everybody involved. So it's really just following the energy and um, being inquisitive. So we're going to do a lot of that. Um, but now I'm ready to hop in and I think we can start high level and talk about prosperity at the stratosphere and then kind of just come in to a deeper dive along the way. That sounds good. Yeah. Listening and watching. We also included, cause I get big questions like what is the meaning of life and what is prosperity? And then I get like other questions like, um, your favorite answer, you know, what brand of watch do you, you know, it's personal stuff. So we threw in some of the personal ones and uh, that the people just seem to want to know more about me as a person. So those are included in the list that Jojo has as well. Yeah. So we'll pepper in some surprise bonus questions too. So, all right. Are you ready? Yes, sir. 
All right. All right. So let's start uh, with the big one. So topic is prosperity. How do you define prosperity? I would define it as a very multifaceted existence and multi-directional, multi-omniscient, uh, meaning it's your, uh, um, and for you guys on the podcast, listen to episode number one of this podcast if you didn't, because I did the whole show on this exact question. Um, but the executive summary version of that would be um, health, spiritual grounding, money, material things, healthy relationships. I think you've got to have all of those things hitting. You have to have all those cylinders hitting to have prosperity. If you just have money, you're rich, but you're not prosperous. If you have great health, but you struggle to pay the electric bill, you're not prosperous. You need all of those avenues in your life. And, and to me, it's about having choices, um, the freedom to make the choices, you know, where you want to raise your kids, the kind of work you want to do, what your perfect day looks like, your ability to, to create that kind of existence. Um, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a spiritual element of that. I don't define it as religious because I'm not religious, but I would define it as spiritual, um, that you found, uh, something bigger than yourself that you're part of as well, that you're able to provide service, which is a very selfish thing to do when you can serve others. Serving others is selfish? Yes. Can you explain that a little more? Well, Ayn Rand had, a, she's known for some of her famous books. One of her least known books is called The Virtue of Selfishness. And it's a collection of essays by her. And I think it's one of her greatest works um, because she shows how, you know, like me, I, I sponsor little league and flag football and all kind of youth leagues and I got a letter from the coach uh, right after the Super Bowl um, and said, did you notice the plays, man? He lists one of the players on the Patriots who won the Super Bowl. And he said, he came through our program, through the teams that you sponsored. And what did that do for me? It gave me this tremendous feeling of gratitude and happiness, right? So even though I was serving the community, let's say, by sponsoring these youth teams, it actually had a very selfish end result for me. And we, we, you know, I support the opera and the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the San Diego Asian Film Festival. And I have lots of causes that are near and dear to my heart. But ultimately why I do that is because of how happy it makes me to do that. So it's actually, I like Rand view selfishness as a virtue. Hmm. Okay, so flipping it. Oh, yeah, that feels better. Selfishness as a virtue versus the other. Yeah, so, okay, hmm, that makes sense. So that could be maybe a myth or a misconception about prosperity. What would you say other than that is a, is a big myth people have about prosperity? 
that money will bring them happiness. Uh, that, that's the one I encounter the most. Um, what people, only people who don't have money, because people who have money recognize, wow, money did not make me happy. If you're unhappy when you're broke, you're going to be unhappy when you're wealthy. Mm -hmm. If you're happy when you're broke, you will be happy when you're wealthy. Um, now, I do believe money is in, integral to prosperity. Money and material things um, give us the ability for personal expression. And that can contribute to your happiness. So I believe that. But if you say, you know, if I just had a million dollars, I'd be happy. That's a foolish belief. It's a bad premise. It's a myth. It's not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, you've written books on prosperity that have helped a lot of people. Which prosperity book would you say has influenced you the most? Yes. I'm, uh, I'm going to go back to my go-to resource of Ayn Rand. Um, and it's a book she wrote called Atlas Shrugged, which probably no one would perceive that to be a prosperity book, but it is for me because it's for you guys who haven't read it. It's, it's a novel. It's a fictional narrative. But what it did for me was it introduced the concept of living your life by a congruent philosophy. And that was earth shattering for me because um, I, I listened to Jim Rohn and read self-development books and, you know, but I didn't know how to put that all together. And what Rand does in, in the book, she introduces the philosophy of objectivism, um, which is a deep dive and fascinating subject for perhaps another day, another show. But just that idea of a congruent philosophy made me realize that I needed to live by a congruent philosophy, which was based on principles and values. And so that book was the most impactful book. And I have read many thousands of books. That is for sure the most influential for me. Well, that's really fascinating. So what, what is the congruent philosophy that you developed from that? For me, it's about becoming the highest possible version of myself. Because every decision I make, if I decide to drink this bottle of water versus drinking the old whiskey, that's going to have a different impact on the next two hours of my life, right? Every decision we make, you know, it's the butterfly effect, right? Every single decision we make affects everything else. So, but if I'm on this pathway to become the highest possible version of myself, that's the philosophy I want to live by. I want to wake up tomorrow smarter than I was today. I want to wake up on Monday a better person than I was on Sunday. Um, and the, the, the subtext to the philosophy is that I know I'm never supposed to reach the final spot, mm. you know, the summit of the mountain. Because if I, the day I think, okay, I'm there, I'm the highest possible version of myself that I can be, 
then it's all downhill from there, right? I'm dead. Um, mm -hmm. When I wrote The Risky is the New Safe Book, I sent it to my buddy, Bob Berg. He was one of the people who read a preview galley copies. And he wrote me back, he said, Randy, this is your um, magnum opus. This is the greatest book you will ever, this is your life's work. It's the greatest book you'll ever write. And I was like, dude, it better not be the greatest book I ever write, because then what is the point of writing the next one? You know, and that's why Mad Genius had to be a better book than Risky, right? Because if my next book isn't greater, a better work, a higher level than my last book, why am I writing it, right? Mm -hmm. I approach my life that way. And, and, but I recognize that if I think I'm at the summit, then I'm screwed because it's all, now people are passing me by because I'm moving backwards. I, I recognize, my, my philosophy is, I want to become the highest possible version of myself and I know that it's about celebrating and being grateful for the journey along mm -hmm. the way. It's the journey, not the, the, the destination. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that for people maybe early in their career, the stages um, of their prosperity mindset development, is that philosophy and that realization that, that, that embracing, I guess, of that kind of never ending journey, um, that's something that you develop along the way? Or is that something you did in the beginning, you were like, oh yeah, I just always kind of see it this way. Or along the way, you've been like, ah, I so enjoy what I do. And I, it's ongoing. Yeah, great question. I don't think I had that sophistication and self-awareness when I began, because I started this when I was probably 20. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to become smart enough to be a millionaire. And then when I'm a millionaire, I'll be happy. I'm going to be smart enough to do this, and then I will be successful. Or, you know, and I didn't, and I thought there was a destination that, you know, and I was very impatient, like, when was I going to get there? You know, I've been doing this self-development stuff for two years now. When is it going to pay off? You know, um, it, it took me a while to, to develop the self-awareness to know, no, it's not about getting there. It's about being on the journey. It's so interesting that, that you said that, too, because, like, I always thought, oh, I'm going to write the, a book and I'm set, I want to write a book, and I'm good, you know, um, and then I met you and learned, yeah, the book gets you all the other stuff, it's all cyclical, but it's not just one thing, and now I'm going, ah, oh, it's even bigger than that, it's like the bigger purpose and calling, so um, it's been interesting for me to see that develop and see it in other people that you're working with, too, so that's really, really cool. All right, so... Let's go one more level deeper here, and then we'll switch up the energy a little bit with a fun one. Um, not that they're not all fun, but so, all right, we talked about the book that influenced you most and what that progression has looked like for you, but how about just in general, what has been a life-changing moment for you or the most life-changing? Okay, so most life-changing, that, that, and that's a question I get a lot of radio shows, a lot of podcasts, and the answer shocks people always because most people know at least something about my story. So they know I was in jail for armed robbery and burglary at 16 years old and that 
uh, Baxter Richardson came into my jail cell and told me, you don't belong here. You're capable of doing great things. And absolutely trend life transformational moment, um, but not the most. Uh, I think back in the cocaine cowboy fueled days of Miami, uh, at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, that thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning, uh, when I got shot by a crackhead and left for dead in a pool of blood and on South Beach, um, certainly transformational moment, but not the most. Um, 2006, I'm in my doctor's office. He comes in with a clipboard. He says, Randy, it's not good news, I'm afraid. Um, you're HIV positive. And in 2006, that wasn't a, uh, you know, air quote, death sentence. But if you got that news in 2006, you updated your insurance policy, you wrote a will, you let your loved ones know where the will was, and you, you know, it certainly changed everything about my life. Between the gunshot and the diagnosis, they were really gifts for my prosperity, as was Baxter in the jail cell, because I don't ever take a sunset or sunrise for granted. I get fresh flowers delivered every week to my home. I, I celebrate the moments. I, I literally stop and smell the flowers, right? Um, but the most life, the, the most transformational moment in my life was I was flying back from Asia or flying to Asia, one or the other, and I was in the, uh, the, the I believe, the United Airlines lounge at San Francisco airport. And I played with a cloned puppy and that puppy licked my face <laughs> and when that puppy licked my face every thing in my world changed every single aspect of my life and my world changed because <laughs> this was such a mind expanding spiritual psychological uh, analytical I don't know what conscious prosperity consciousness experience because uh, you know I, I knew they cloned camels in Dubai and they, but that was like this abstract thing I just thought it was like a petri dish thing a microscope thing but when you play, you know I had adopted this puppy from the Humane Society here in Miami maybe 20 25 years ago Starbucks this little mix of, of Shepherd and Lab. And so they had all these dogs and they have them like in little windows in the in the wall. And then so I played with him first. I just was, you know, enamored with him. But you know, my friend said, Don't just go with the first one, you know, try the different dogs. So I would go to another cage. And as soon as I would like go to that dog, the first one would be like, oh. And then I would go, and he'd be okay. And then I would go and look at another cat. Oh, it was like, he wouldn't let me <laughs> pick any other dog. He knew what was going on. So I, right? And this puppy in this airport lounge was like Starbuck, my, my puppy. And, and 
the lady told me it was a clone. And I, I just thought it was a joke. And then she, I realized she wasn't joking, but I still didn't believe her because it was crazy talk, crazy talk. And then like on the flight, they were sitting in first classes. I was, we were going, yeah, we were going back to Miami. I remember them because um, they went back and they were like taking the dog. And I didn't realize they, they were showing it to reporters who were sitting in the back section. And then when we landed at MIA, there were all these TV crews waiting to film this dog coming off the plane because it was the first clone puppy that came to the United States. And then it sunk in on me that this dog, that playful, joyful, adorable puppy was a clone. And that blew my whole world up. Mm -hmm. That was what led me to write The Risky is the New Safe book, which led me to write the Mad Genius book, which led me into this rabbit hole of technology and cloning and biogenetic engineering and virtual and uh, augmented reality and where the future is going to take us and uh, what happens when artificial intelligence is all human knowledge and all of this work that you know, I approach not as a futurist and not as an author, but just as a student of the human condition, mm. a, a student of prosperity and saying, how is this going to impact our prosperity and our future? Mm. I love that student of the human condition. But so diving a little deeper on that, what was it? So you knew animals have been cloned before in other places. So what was it about that moment that took you to like a spiritual place with that puppy? Because Lali the or whatever in Dubai was this abstract thing. This puppy licked my face and loved me just like Starbucks did. And that raised, so now instead of the test tube thing, I, and the example I always give is your dog Moses, who is the, the, this, another wise soul with these deep eyes that, like you have, that just looks into your soul. And that's what Starbucks was like for me, right? And, and uh, I realized if, if, if if you gave me um, this clone puppy, and then if you had given me the original dog that had died that they had cloned the DNA from, there would be, it would be impossible for me to know which one was which. It would be impossible for the family that owned the dog to know which one was which. Impossible. So that brings all those questions of, do they have a soul? Do they have sentient thoughts? Are they, what, are, what is the difference between the original and the clone? Is, what, is there anything diminished in the original soul that went to the second one? Is there a God? If there is a God, how does this play into God and uh, creation? And um, I mean, it was, and then I'm always just, you know, that's what led me to the Risky book was, okay, so if Jones and Sons Hardware just wants to clone Sons, then they don't ever have to hire anybody else ever again. How does that impact 
the labor force, the job market, the minimum wage, the employment history, the employment industry. How, if there's 12 clone sons and they're sitting around the table on Thanksgiving, what the hell is that conversation like? How does that work at passport control? What's to stop Kim Jong-un from cloning four million uh, clone army? Um, I don't think he wouldn't do it. He'd do it in a second. Don't think Donald Trump wouldn't do it. He would do it in a second. And then it leads to the question of understanding that, hey, human cloning is going to happen. It doesn't matter if 170 nations meet tomorrow and have a summit and they all sign a treaty and agree that they won't clone humans. The Russians are still going to be working on it in secret. The Americans are still going to be working on it in secret. The Chinese are still going to be working on it in secret. And somebody's going to just say, hey, we don't have oil. We don't have diamonds. We don't have natural gas. We're going to be the cloning country, and we are not going to sign that treaty. And because they do that, they're going to be the one that Kim Jong-un calls, right? So, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it rocks your whole world when you mm -hmm. really dive down deep into that. Yeah, which... Which I'm guessing not a lot of people do dive in that deep. I think a lot of people always said, oh, cute clone dog. I'm going to post it on Instagram and be on about my day. Uh, no judgment, just real talk. I think that's, you know, what happens. So is this critical thinking, this curiosity you have, is that like inherent in you? Is that something like you, you developed? Um, and then a follow-up question after that. <laughs> Maybe it was a podcast or a video with Joe Vitale for one of his books, and or he was interviewing me about the Risky book or the Mad Genius book, and that came up. Like he started because I got to you know my mantra is always if you ask the wrong question, then the answer is irrelevant or it's very harmful. So I said. I was doing the media, I think it was for the Mad Genius book, I'm doing the media tour, and all these radio TV shows, they keep asking me what I thought were the wrong questions. They'd say, do you really believe that you're gonna be able to, the people listening to this are gonna be able to vacation on the moon one day? And I say, that's the wrong question. You know, a much better question would be, who owns the moon? You know, the United States went there, we put a flag up, we left a little rover there, does that mean we own the moon? Chinese went there, if they knocked down our flag and they put up their flag, does that mean China owns the moon? You know, a better question would be, how do we divide the moon without all the bloodshed and territorial wars that it took us to divide this planet? What does the absence of gravity do to hair growth? What does the absence of gravity do to muscle density, to bone density, to sexual appetite, to uh, food appetite, to, you know, there's like a million better questions. Um, he said, do you really believe you're going to be able to buy a, a home on the floor of the ocean and be able to see octopi swimming by? I'm like, that's the wrong question. Better question would be, what is the price of ocean floor real estate going to do to ocean front real estate? So I'm relaying these things and finally Joe can't stand it anymore. He starts shrieking. And he says, how do you think this way? How do you think, how does any human come up with these questions? I mean, he was just apoplectic. <laughs> and you know what I told Joe was, you know, 
I wish I knew the answer to that. I can only hypothesize. The only hypothesis, uh, you know, the only theory that I can come up with is that one day the aliens came to Earth. They left me in a basket on my mother's doorstep. She opened the door and said, oh, somebody left a baby here. I guess I'm going to raise him. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no other plausible explanation that I can find that's scientifically valid because I just... I have never thought like most people think. I have got me into all kind of trouble in all kind of scenarios, and it's provided all kind of blessings in my life. But I'm I'm just naturally curious, and I never accept the maybe because I was so insecure as a kid. That might be one thing, because. Um, I don't accept the premise. When somebody tells me something, I'm not afraid to question the premise. And they say, well, okay, the only options are A or B. So which one? And I always say, well, why? Who said the only options are A or B? Why isn't there an option C or D or E and F? And I've had that as long as I know. It wasn't a... Now, I, I think I consciously work to develop that. Mm -hmm. But I, I never reached some point in my life where I made a, a sentient decision to do that. I've just always been that way as long as I know. Mm -hmm. This is really, I'm really fascinated and not to spend too much time here, but you can always cut it out if we go too far down a rabbit hole, I guess, because this is really, really interesting to me. So do you think that there's inherent value just in the questions or is it all about like, okay, these are my questions or my theories. Now I need to go find an answer to these. I think that that's much Well, I meant that to say the value is in pursuing the question. Okay. Why that clone puppy changed my whole life is because then it forced me to seek the answer to questions that I cannot know the answer to, at least not yet. You know, I don't know how does that, the, 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 the awareness of that clone puppy, clone puppy differentiate than the original donor puppy. I, I don't know the answer to that. And I may never know that answer my whole life, but I still pursue that question. Mm -hmm. That's part of my, when I say my philosophy is, you know, trying to, become the highest version of myself is pursuing those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And I think that I, that I can't find the answer to. Yeah. And I think um, kind of building on that, I think often those sorts of questions, if you just reframe it just a bit and say, I wonder if, or I wish that then now it's an idea and no longer a question like, okay, hmm, maybe we could go make this thing or, you know, somebody needs this thing. So, I can see where it's definitely a valuable um, practice and, and habit to get in. Um, so last question about there, bringing that back to prosperity. Um, in all of the things, all the stages people are in in their prosperity development, um, even those at the beginning, how important is that piece to focus and practice on compared to some other um, you know, behaviors or activities that you think are very important in developing that prosperity mindset? 
Um, I think the, 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 this idea of divine discontent, which is another foundational belief I have, which is that I think it's spiritual. Be grateful about what you have, but not accept that as the limits to who you can become or who you are. That the part of it is that you desire more. I believe that's the universe knocking on your door to say, hey, you can do, have, and become more, but you have to desire more. And this is very much anti-Zen, because Zen would say, it's just reduce your, your desires to the level of your existence and then you will be happy. And I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe that this divine discontent pulls you to become more because the only way you do have and become more is to challenge, the only way you do more and have more is to become more. So it forces you on this path of enlightenment, this mm -hmm. self-discovery. Very interesting. So, okay, and on this path of self-discovery, and go into another question here in the list, a frequently asked question, what causes me to self-sabotage? Okay, there's like 10 million possible answers to this, but they all come down to one core cause, and that is worthiness issues. Um, most of the people on the planet today have low self-esteem and don't believe they're worthy of being healthy, happy, and prosperous. And um, I wrote an entire book on this way back in the day called with this very charming, friendly title called <laughs> Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broke, and How to Get Smart, Healthy, and Rich. Uh, but what the entire book is about is programming, the mind viruses that we get, um, which are memes. Now, when you say meme today, people think it's a picture on Facebook or Instagram. That's not a meme. They've kind of hijacked that word. Meme actually comes from the science of mimetics, which was developed by Dr. Richard Dawkins, probably one of the five smartest people on the planet currently. Um, and it's a mimetics is mind viruses. So a meme is a, a self-propagating mind virus that parasitizes the host and causes the host to replicate. So a meme could be very innocent, like. Um, uh, the new Cardi B song, you hear it and it's in your head and then you're humming it in the elevator and the guy next to you in the elevator and now it's in his, or this, you know, sharp doo-doo-doo song that all the kids are in some cartoon, they call it, you know, it's called an earworm. That's a meme. Um, so but the most prevalent mind viruses in the world are money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor, you got to sell your soul for money. Um, and the guiltiest parties of those are organized religion because they, you know, they're probably one of the most self-destructive forces on the planet. 
because they they exist to create worthiness issues because that's how they that's because they're infected with the same memes and the memes cause it to for survival right so they they need you to need them right a church when they have a bunch of uh congreg you know parishioners who are healthy happy wealthy they don't really go to church that often and they don't spend as much money there whereas people who are praying for a new car and praying for a job they go to church more often and they they get indoctrinated into placing a higher percentage of their earning potential into the tithe basket. Um, so organized religion is, uh, you know, very, is I think the worst offender for programming people for worthiness issues. The government is a close second. It's the same thing. The government needs you to need them. Uh, you guys who are in the States right now, you know, we've got a big election next year for president and they just fallen all over each other. Who can give away more free stuff, right? So free prescription, free healthcare, free college, free HBO and Showtime. You know, if you can give away more stuff than the other party, then you're going to get elected. So they need you to need them, right? And ultimately that breaks down. It gets to some form of socialism and the entire thing collapses. But um, that's the pathway we're on and it causes worthiness issues. And the third is just what I call the data sphere, which is TV, radio, internet, social media, books, TV shows, movies, they're all propagating these money is bad, rich people are evil type of uh, mind viruses. Interesting, okay. So uh, this has kind of been covered, but just for the record, is money really relevant to true prosperity? Yes. Um, the problem, is, the bad part is people think it is prosperity. It's only an element of prosperity. But mm. if you cannot um, give your child the medical care they need, there's you're not prosperous, okay? If you, I mean... When I got eyeglasses and it was $600 a pair, I went to the dentist office. My den I went to the dentist, dentist office, uh, dental, my dentist, like a month ago. The bill was $1,500 for a, you know, hour and a half appointment. I was like, how do poor people do this? And the answer is they don't. They just skip it, right? So... If, cause that's what I did when I was broke. I didn't, I mean, I went 10 years and never went to the dentist, right? I went 10 years and never went to the doctor. You didn't have money for stuff like that. Um, that's money is a, a, a very integral part of prosperity. Okay. All right. So I said we'd switch gears, switch the energy up. I sort of lied because we went a little further, but let's do that now. So, all right. What deceased person would you most want to bring back to life and have dinner with? Bruce Lee. Tell us more about that. Yeah, because that would be the most fascinating dinner conversation because we would talk about health. We would talk about working out. We would talk about philosophy. We would talk about martial arts. Um, and he was just, he was such a pioneer in terms of personal branding. 
right? The brand that he created, you know, for, for most of you all listening and watching, unfortunately, you're going to have to Google him. I mean, you wouldn't have to Google him. He's still really well known, but I mean, to, to really know what his career trajectory is like, you'd have to go back if you're not old as I am. Um, but he was Cato in the Green Hornet is how he came to prominence in the U.S. Um, you know, and Cato was the sidekick, right? So I, I just remember one of the documentaries I watched, there was a, a scene where they were going to – Bruce was supposed to come down the stairway – and you know, take something and knock out the light bulb so that it got dark, so that he could then you know creep up on the bad guy or whatever. And so they told him, "Well, come down the stairs and you know grab this thing and you know knock the light out." And so he comes down to the stairs. He comes down like the third step. He jumps up, does a fly, spinning fly kick, and kicks out the light. <laughs> And then, you know, turns to the director and says, is that any better? <laughs> they're like, yeah, well, let's keep that. I mean, he was just so mindful of the brand that he created, which is why today there's still the Bruce Lee Foundation selling his movies and T-shirts and swag. I mean, he's still uh, relevant in lots of this, you know, the whole mixed martial arts scene would never have happened without Bruce, or maybe it would have, but I mean, it came many years earlier because of Bruce Lee. So, quick follow-up, where would you take him to dinner? Uh, would have to be someplace healthy, so, because he was really mindful of that, so we'd probably, we'd probably go to Whole Foods Market and go through the, uh, you know, the hot bar and then just sit outside at the patio. <laughs> Loves it. All right. So you mentioned in there a few things that, you know, you do in your, your spare time, let's say documentaries, some TV and things like that. Um, but I also know you're very structured and disciplined and have a, you know, a routine that I aspire to have the same discipline around um, working on it. So, on that note, what what do you what does a prosperous day look like for you? What are some of the things we can do to have the most prosperous day? To me, it starts with being clean and sober. Every for me to have a prosperous day, it needs to begin with that core foundation, um, and then there everything built off of there. Now, I'm not a, um, I'm not the soup Nazi. I don't, you know, because somebody's having a glass of wine with their dinner or they have a beer when they're watching the Sunday night baseball. It's fine. It's just, that's not my highest good because I've fought addiction issues my whole life and drugs and alcohol were two of them, two of many <laughs> that I have fought. Um, so it starts with that. And then it's about, you know, I actually, for you guys, uh, want to go back the blog last week, I had a show, How to Live a Prosperous Life. And I think, to me, a prosperous life starts with prosper prosperous days. If you have enough prosperous days, you have a prosperous week. If you have enough prosperous days or weeks, you have a prosper prosperous month. 
And you know, what's a, a, a prosperous life is you reach the tipping point where you have more prosperous days than you do days of lack and limitation. Um, so that means for me, it's waking up with a, a prayer of gratitude to the universe um, with positive affirmations. Um, I always say the best prosperity advice I will ever give anyone is turn off your phone when you go to bed and put it in a room that's not the room you sleep in, uh, which uh, I'm religious about. Um, the only time is when I want to play my Calm app um, to get to sleep because I'm in time zone, 16 time zones away and I'm jet lagged or whatever, then I'll put that phone next to me, but it'll be turned off and just play the Calm app. Um, but other than I wake up and I have this beautiful painting by Desjardins, who's a French Canadian artist that's opposite my bed. And I look at how beautiful that is. And I look at the fresh flowers that are on my dresser and then I look out the window. And, um, Jojo lives on the same island that I do. He's maybe half a block, two blocks down. Um, but I see I'm on this island between Miami and Miami Beach and I just, Look at the water and the palm trees and the sunshine. And so I, if I start my day with that kind of gratitude, it takes me into a prosperous day. That's amazing. And I love how open you are about your addiction issues. And I think it's an important message for a lot of people to hear. Um, and I don't know, would you agree that it's sort of like the prosperity mindset? You're building a habit of thinking and acting for that prosperity mindset, the same as like we develop bad habits, that's just developing a good habit. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do. I, I feel like that's why, you know, I, I feel like I'm in the best health of my life and the best shape of my life, muscle strength, body mass index, all of that. Um, and I, that's because I said, you know what, I'm going to trade in crystal meth for working out. I'm going to replace a bad habit with a good habit. And when you do meth, you just, you know, they call them suicide Tuesdays. You just wake up after the, you know, weekend of binging. And it's like you, you have to wait 10 minutes to get the energy to look at the clock to see what time it is, you know, and then it's going to be 20 minutes before you're going to get the energy to, sit up in bed and he's like and so i was like okay i fell off the wagon so now i gotta go to the gym and work out and you know and then i'm like oh my god this is so hard this is so so man i gotta stop you know doing the drugs so that i can do it and i you know that was what i you know that's what helps me a great deal is to replace a a unhealthy habit with a healthy habit Love it. And you talked about affirmations and I've heard you talk about that in the past. Can you give us an example of a strong affirmation? Um, today will be another clean and sober day. I am healthy, happy, and strong. I am healthy, happy, and prosperous. Stuff like that. It's a very like present tense. Like this is, this is happening now. This is the case. Very, very important affirmations are, uh, are affirmed in the present tense. So you really program that into your subconscious mind. Love that. Any other activities uh, that people at any point in their journey here can infuse into their day and start building healthier habits or replacing bad habits with? 
It's eat clean, eat healthy. You know, people say, I can't find the energy. I don't have enough. No, you don't find energy. You create energy. Mm. And you create energy by the fuel that you consume for your body. Mm -hmm. And you've also talked about like reaching out to people, you know, friends, connecting with friends and that sort of thing, building, you know, relationships, networking. Does that factor in? Um, it would. I'm really horrible at that. Let me not affirm that. Let me cancel that. In the past, I have been really horrible at that. Um, I'm very much a loner and I'm still, you know, I experienced a lot of social anxiety for a lot of years being a skinny buck-tooth kid with really low self-esteem who didn't fit in and thought the aliens left him on his mother's doorstep. And so um, I aspire to do what you do. Every time I talk to you, you're like, well, I'm at the guardian ad litem program, so I'm going for a hearing for some of my kids. Well, there's this, uh, I met these amazing website developers because I'm a networking group here, and I went to, every time I talk to you, you have something like that. I, I don't do anything like that. I do that like once every 27 years and you do it 10 times a week. So You can join my coaching program if you want to. <laughs> I mean, it honestly is like a habit I've built and developed, and yeah, now yeah. that I'm in my sweet spot, feels really natural, serves. so. It really serves, yeah. I see that. So, okay, then we've talked about the guilty pleasures that you've eliminated. Uh, so do you have any guilty pleasures now? What does Randy Gage do? amid all the critical thinking and content creation and everything else. Uh, what do you do for fun? Okay. So I like K-pop. <laughs> so anybody has a problem with that? I don't care. I like K-pop. My <laughs> another guilty pleasure would be uh, Into the Badlands, Badlands, which is this uh, choppy sock kung fu drama on um, AMC, whatever the Walking Dead network is with all those crazy shows. Um, but I love the end of the Badland, which is actually just coming to a conclusion this week um, of the third season, which is the final season. But it's, um, it's kind of supernatural sci-fi, and I'm a sci-fi nerd. It's got great martial arts choreography, which I love. And it has uh, Daniel Wu and Louis Tan, who I adore. So it's a great guilty pleasure for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, love it. Other than like sci-fi and tech, definitely can see where you'd be into those. Is there any other, I don't know, garbage TV that you indulge in or? Uh, well, I don't know what I call it garbage TV, but I, I like escapist TV, so because, I, I, well, two things. I either like uh, Nat Geo and like uh, Our Planet, I think is the PBS one. Uh, I love nature documentaries, stuff about the oceans and planets and animals, especially animals. I love all animals. Um, but then when I'm, you know, usually watching TV, I, I love the, the, the talent shows. So, uh, so you think you could dance, World of Dance are top of my list, must watch TV. Idol and voice, the shows like that. Um, 
I, I just look, because that's, to me, that's good prosperity TV. Although I have to say, like, here's an example of, of mind virus program. Every time I watch The Voice or American Idol, I have to fast forward through the packages where they introduce the contestants. Why? Because you can tell it's, it's so formulaic. They must have every person they ask. So, Jojo, you get it. You're competing on The Voice. They're going to say, Jojo, has anybody recently died in your life? Your grandmother, your grandfather. Your... So, of course, you're going to say, yeah. And they're going to say, well, so is that why you're doing this? And then you're going to say, yes, I just believe if I could win, it you know, would make my grandmother proud. And it's just total emotional manipulation. And it's so transparent. It started with Idol and now Voice and all of them do it that it's, I guarantee every one of those producers, they have a list of template questions to do that. So I don't wanna know that. If, if we're judging somebody on the voice and we have the chairs turned around and it's supposed to be about their voice, then don't give me the pre-thing of how they fought diabetes and cancer and leukemia and survived and they saved the children in the school bus that was gonna fall off the bridge and they rescued the kittens from the burning building. Then you're defeating the whole premise of the show. Mm -hmm. So I, get, I fast forward through all that crap I just watch them express their talent. And that's the prosperity stuff for me. Um, and then I want escapist shows. I don't, you know, I don't want to see a period piece from the colonial days with wonderful acting and directing and lighting and costumes. I want Game of Thrones. I want Westworld. I want Billions. Those would be mm -hmm. appointment shows. Which makes, think, makes sense because those are kind of mind benders. Those are like kind of rarer or more unique concepts. So I can see yeah, how that aligns with your brand. Game of Thrones, I didn't read the books first. I didn't know of the books. I don't know how that stayed off my radar. But I just heard this, a lot of buzz about this Game of Thrones show on HBO. So I'm like, God, you know, there's so much buzz on this. Let me check it out. And I watched, I think, the first three shows, and I was like, I don't know, I don't get this. This is really dark. This is really violent. I don't, I don't know what the draw is here, but it was like the third show or the fourth show. And I don't want to say what happened, because if there's people who haven't seen it, like Flacco, who I'm convincing to watch this show, um, then something happens that you realize, wait a minute, this is a show like, no other show I have ever seen in my life. And then I was hooked. It's mm. interesting. All right, so three more questions. All right, rounding it out here. Um, first of the three, boxers or briefs? <laughs> I am simply shocked how often I get that question. And I'm honored. At my age, the fact that anybody would even ask me is just wonderful. <laughs> but I don't even know what you go. I don't. I, I think that's the wrong question because it's not one of the. I wear those. I guess they're called boxer briefs, which are the the. Uh, I like uh, FMU and Andrew Christian. 
or obviously those are the three brands I buy, but they're like snug fit, snug fit boxers, boxers. They're like a hybrid, I guess. A hybrid, that's what I was gonna say. You would have the hybrid version. <laughs> awesome, all right, so let's see. Okay, so what is something you've changed your mind about in the last six months? Uh, I lead libertarian for a long time, and I'm very much against government control and government intrusion into my life or any of our lives. Um, so I believe in free enterprise as the solution, that that's, that's why we say in prosperity, it's rich people who are going to save the world, right? Poor people can't save the world because they're too busy trying to pay their electric bill. But if, if, if we are going to save this planet, it's going to be rich people like Elon Musk who help us save it. Um, but what I have really changed my mind on would be this idea that maybe we should offer universal health care. Maybe we should offer a universal basic income. Um, I don't believe in compulsory things. I don't think you can put a doctor at the point of the of a gun and force him to treat everybody. You know, it, it can't be that way. I, I know socialism is not the answer. I know socialism is it's one of those ideas that sounds good, it looks good, it looks good on paper. It just doesn't actually work because you always run out of other people's money, right? <laughs> so it, it can't actually work. But I, I no longer think, okay, all of these wealthy, multinational, multi-trillion dollar companies are gonna save the world because they're not. They don't have a company like Mobile Exxon, um, Facebook, they're not an American company. They're multinational companies. They do business everywhere in the world and they have created their own self-serving, self-protection culture inside of them. And Mark Zuckerberg is not going to save the planet. Mark Zuckerberg is gonna keep making Facebook more profitable. And at some point, we're gonna to have to recognize, no, free enterprise in and of it. You know, the theory is, well, if you give everybody freedom and libertarian, then all the wealthy people make enough money that they can give more to charity because they don't have to pay all those onerous taxes. And then we could fund them and protect the people who are most vulnerable. I don't believe that anymore. I believe, you know what? Like I, I sent money to Andrew Yang, who's running for president here, uh, on the premise of the universal basic income. Uh, I don't think there's a chance in hell he's going to be the next president, but I sent money so he could qualify for the debates because I want him on the debate stage making that argument. Okay? I think Bernie Sanders is crazy. I don't think we can do free everything that Bernie wants to give free. But I want him on the debate stage raising those issues. So conservatives, fiscal conservatives, like me, can say, well, you know, maybe I should be thinking about that. Can we, you know, and, and that's, so I really have changed my mind on that. I think it is a crime 
that there are people in America, the richest country on earth, and they're rationing their insulin and they're dying. I think it's a crime. My buddy Terry in North Carolina had to start a GoFundMe campaign for his grandson because he needed an operation so he could continue to walk, right? There's something wrong with that. If we have to do a GoFundMe campaign to do a surgery so a, a six-year-old kid can walk, there's something really messed up about that. Yeah. Or take an Uber to the hospital to avoid the ambulance fee. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. So on the Tim Ferriss podcast, he always asks his guests what they would put on a billboard. How would you answer that? Okay. Um, first of all, if you're listening to Tim or anybody who's friends with Tim, I'd love to be on. That would be a bucket list thing for me. That has turned into, I think, my go-to podcast where I, li I make sure I listen to every show. Um, now, so if he does call, I need to work on this answer because right now I need like 10 billboards, I think. Because uh, one, I would say, would be if you ask the wrong question, the answer is irrelevant or harmful. Uh, I'd probably do one that says, you are worthy. Uh, I would want to do one that just says, which is the name of one of my books was just accept your abundance because that, that speaks to the, the worthiness issue. Um, mm. So, I, you know, I have to, I have to process that down because I don't know, I, I would have a bunch of them at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, those are awesome. Uh, well, that's all the questions on the list. I do want to throw out just one more to wrap it up, but um, so maybe for people early in their journey for prosperity mindset, what, um, what advice would you give people who are maybe haven't reached that kind of tipping point yet where it's like momentum, how, what advice to get there? Uh, the introspection to find out what are the mind viruses you're programmed with, right? What are the core limiting beliefs that are in your operating system right now. Uh, I believe, you know, there, pick five, six, you know, what are the, the most important beliefs we have? I would say they are about health, relationships, slash marriage, um, God, slash spirituality, money, sex, those are probably the most important core foundational beliefs that humans operate under. And most people have developed those beliefs before they were eight years old. And now they are 30, 40, 50 years old, exactly in the situation you described. They're not manifesting prosperity. They don't know why. They're trying to figure out, how do I kickstart this thing? How do I get past this tipping point? They got to go back and find what is the core foundational belief about sex. Were they taught this was dirty and you do it in the dark and it can only be done between a man and a woman, <laughs> and only between a married couple and only with the blessing of the religious institution? Because then 
every time they have a, a natural sexual desire, which is programmed in their DNA, they're beating themselves up because they think they're not worthy. Mm-hmm. If your mother uh, was emotionally abusive to your father, that creates a core foundational belief about love and relationships. If your father cheated on your mother, it created a core foundational belief about relationships and marriage, right? If you were programmed that, you know, you were born a sorry sinner and you should prostrate yourself before your creator and beg for forgiveness and collect enough of those frequent flyer points to win the, the free trip to Nirvana at the end, um, you're have worthiness issues. So, um, that's where you start. You look at those important core areas and then say, what do, do I, I mean, I always say, you know, if you're driving on the, you're on your way to the Miami Dolphins football game and you're getting off on the highway and you notice there's a, a 1987 uh, Toyota broken down with the hood up and there's a lady uh, standing in front and obviously her car broke down. What is the emotional reaction you have? Probably one of empathy. You probably think, oh, this poor lady, I wonder, does she have a cell phone? Does she need help? Does she need a tire change? Can I help her? Now, same scenario, you're on your way to the Miami Dolphin game, and now there is a $400,000 neon red Lamborghini broke down with the hood up, and there's a guy standing in front of it. What's your core, your instant reaction, right? For most people watching this, listening to this, you're going to think the second one is funny. Oh, look at the guy, $400,000 Lambo or Ferrari or whatever, or, you know, Bentley, Rolls Royce. You're going to be, you're going to think that's funny because here you are in your BMW, which only costs $50,000, and yours is taking you to the game, and this guy with his half a million dollars exotic supercar has a flat tire or his gasket blew, right? What does that tell you? That you have a core foundational belief that money is bad and rich people are evil and you don't like rich people. Mm-hmm. So you could be working your whole life to be more prosperous, but you're not going to because you have a core foundational belief that rich people are evil. And so every time you try to become successful, you're going to sabotage yourself because you don't want to be one of those evil, mean, nasty, rich people. So crazy. So true. And like, basically like you say, question the premise. Now it's like, and question your own premise that you're living your life with. Like, just ask yourself, like, is that true? Like I believe this, but is that true? Where'd that come from? Yeah, yeah. that would be on my billboards. Question the premise. Mm. One of the most, and yeah, when you, that's what we're talking about here is questioning the very basic premise of your existence on this planet. Because mm. I'm telling you, what you really did get your, if you haven't done the work that I've done, and that other people have done where you're, you know, you blew up four marriages in a row and then you finally went to counseling and discovered that you had a toxic dysfunctional belief that caused you to blow up those relationships. You're just going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And people are shocked when they, they say, you're telling me I'm programming, I'm self-sabotaging my career at 45 years old from something I learned when I was seven. 
from the nurses and sun, or the, the, the nuns in the Sunday school? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it happens every single day. Mm. All right, that's all the questions. Any other points you want to make? Anything we didn't cover? Well, first of all, thank you. This was everything I hoped it would be. I knew that you would draw out amazing stuff. Um, tell people what you do and how they can reach you if they want to work with you, with your team. Yeah, well, thank you. And this was so fun. Thanks for letting me be a part of it, by the way. But yeah, so you can check out my website, cleveristgroup.com. Make sure you spell cleverest right, clever E-S-T. Um, and it's a creative agency. We do branding and marketing, business strategy. So branding for business development. And I also have recently launched a coaching program um, right now specifically focusing on helping creative people um, sell their craft without selling out, without selling their soul and overcoming some of the mindsets that I know creative people specifically can have around making money and getting paid for their talent. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about that new program too. So cleverestgroup.com. All right. I warned you before you did this, if you did an amazing job at it, you might have to do this like every six weeks. So you better be ready because I can tell you that. Let's go. And listening, just hit me up on Twitter or my blog when you have questions like this. And we're just going to keep a working document. And when we get enough questions, I'll come back and do another show like this. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and use the share buttons. And you guys listening on the podcast, please go to iTunes, rate it. Um, uh, and tell your friends about it because uh, I need your help to get this message of prosperity out to the world. So Jojo, thank you again. Everybody watching, everybody listening, thank you. Go out and have an amazing day. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power of Prosperity podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.